I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. I hereby irrevocably declare and acknowledge to serve Master to his full satisfaction, and continue my conduct by other means necessary. That I, the slave, may prove unsatisfactory to Master, I will be retrained with corporal punishment for wisdom and deems effective toward behavior. I vow to fulfill Master's every need. Furthermore, I will strive to better serve the Master's needs and accept his guidance along this journey. To this end, I will adapt my physical, emotional, and mental attitudes to the best of my ability. Signed, Colleen Stan. Welcome to I Could Murder a Podcast. We are back in the studio, and Ben, it has been a, it's been a hell of a week, hasn't what it? What a week in our world, man. It has been a hell of a week. It's been very quiet and shy, but quite a big moment has just happened, hasn't it, producer Dan? I'm now married ba, ba, ba. to a woman. That's to it. a beautiful woman named Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dan got married to the lovely Sophie. So a big congratulations from me and Ben. Um, slow clap. I was being, it was a polite clap. Okay. Oh. It sometimes can come across a bit passive. I didn't mean to. Are you happy for me, Ben? Very happy. So happy. He did get drunk and embarrass himself, though, didn't he? Yeah, it yeah. was really embarrassing. Yeah, he had to leave by half eleven. He was like trying to, sh- he was trying to like endear himself to to the, the people at the wedding. He was trying to dance with a kid to be like, look, I'm a lovely guy. He's like swinging the kid around by the legs, and he let go, hit a table. That the kid had to go home. Could it happen? It just happened. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good day was had by all, Dan. As far as we're planning. I hope there's not a jilt in that happens. Then. Yeah, I'd hate that. To cut this out once, last minute. Yeah, we are filming this ahead of time, so um, Ben might not have swung a kid by the legs, yeah. Dan might not be married, and it might have been a horrible day. But I'm sure all of those things, oh, I'm sure most of those things happened. So uh, congratulations from us. I'm sure from the, uh, the I Could Murder a Podcast family and all the people, our audience, our lovely patrons, everyone involved with the podcast wishes yeah. you all the best. All the love and all the happiness in the world there forevermore. Thank you very much, boys yeah. and everyone. Yeah. Now, on that very positive note, we're going to immediately go to the subject of death. <laughs> we talked about me having my fallout with a broom. We all had a laugh and a joke about fallout. it. Well, you cut yourself, Brit. Sweeping. Yeah, yeah a sweeping-related accident, injury. Yeah. Yeah. On. So the other night, obviously the recent, there's been a recent celebrity passing. I was not aware of, of this happening. Quite, quite mainstream media picked it up quite a lot. Tom and Catty recently got a puppy, Sandy. So Tom sent into the group chat, Sandy's dead. Which was factually accurate and she and sandy yeah. olivia newton john had passed away sadly everyone likes grease so i was like yeah. i didn't get the notification about that so took it more as your puppy passing oh well that was it's very upsetting it's more, well 
I'm sorry you misunderstood my uh, news bulletin. It wasn't news, though, was it? Well, well it, it was news, oh, it's, I'm pretty sure it's news, Ben. <laughs> pretty sure it's news. He did it to his mum as well. Can you imagine? Oh. Well, it's never going to happen. The name Sandy is just... I'm never going to have the opportunity again to pull a little prank. And like I was saying to you, with, with your dogs, Gus and Vince, you've got Vince McMahon, when he dies, you can do it back to me, or when Gus Hiddink dies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's the two options you've got. Judge, uh, maybe... Down when Judge Rinder or Judge yeah. Judy pass away? Yeah, one of them would do. The judge is dead! <laughs> well, yeah, it would work. So, um, fun little prank to do on your, on your family or the people that you work with. <laughs> Friends. Yeah. Friends. Maybe it was distasteful. No. Wella, 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 oh. <laughs> oh. I mean, you are dressed like Grease today. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Again, I, I was talking about the hair. All right, yeah, no, I think yeah. Travolta. No. Kelly. <laughs> and always big shout out to Gully Gums for, for dressing for this week we've gone for a 70s theme because the case is very 70s Ben is yeah High School Musical meets Grease meets meets classic jock thank you again there's no there's no I you could have done me quite hard there what, what, what could I have said uh, what were the first two Grease meets High School Musical meets Rowan Atkinson I don't think he's ever wore that no but because you look like Mr Bean no no feels <laughs> like you're peddling that oh. now <laughs> <Is> that a bee <laughs> And yes, Ben, do you want to reveal today's case? So today is the case of the kidnapping of Colleen Stan, otherwise known as the girl in the box, otherwise known as the Cameron Hooker case. We're going to go with the girl in the box. It's interestingly as well, we recently covered the boy in the box over we on Patreon. Did. Very different case, very different time. I've said before, I'm not really much of a podcast person, not really an audio listener. I like visual things. And a few years ago, way long before we started the podcast, I um, was struggling to find something to fall asleep to, saw an image of a device that we're going to discuss in this case. And I thought, I'm going to I'm going to watch that. And it was a podcast. It was just the kind of clickbaiting me. And uh, the case. Wow. This might be and I know a lot of people are going to have different opinions on this. But for me, this is up there in terms of one of the worst things another human could do. If we exclude murder and if we exclude crimes against children and vulnerable people, which is excluding a lot. Yeah, can, quite a bit. Quite, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is the worst case. This is the darkest case. Um, this is the worst thing I feel I've read about that someone has done to another human. I think people would find it hard to disagree with you, Ben, after we go through the whole case. I think that that's a fair shout. This series is a, is a series of shouts for you, it feels. A lot of big statements thank you statement pieces the genie top yep the um this is wow. gonna be the best series jacob's got it on now yeah yeah it looks better than i did no don't say that um <laughs> but yeah this one yeah i think people will agree but let us know in the comments below uh, if you do agree this is one of the one of the darkest things someone could do to someone from what we're going to go on to discuss yeah this this for me this is one that even as i said before we started the podcast i listened to, to uh, another podcast about this case years and years back and as we go on to reveal more about what happened and what, what was going on during this particular timeline of events, it just gets more and more unbelievable and darker and darker as we go. And yeah, this is a really upsetting one. Precursor, we're going to talk about abduction, confinement, manipulation, torture, brainwashing. We're also going to talk about the Stockholm Syndrome, mm. which I'm surprised we haven't covered so far. It's not just a Blink-182 track. It's not. 
We're going to be talking about a lot of heavy, heavy stuff this week, as, as we do most weeks. And it's a really fascinating case, as upsetting as it is. But there's also, amongst all the darkness, it's a case about a woman's bravery, strength, ability to survive. And I think that that's something that hopefully towards the end of the episode we can celebrate and put like a bit more of a positive spin on because this is going to be majority dark. Definitely. I completely agree. So, yeah, this case actually centers around three main individuals, Colleen Stan, as we mentioned, as well as Cameron Hooker and his wife, Janice Hooker. But we're going to start with a little bit of background on all three of them and see how this horrific case came to be. So Colleen Stan was born on New Year's Eve of 1956 in the city of Eugene, Oregon. She was the oldest of two girls and she had a younger sister named Bonnie Sue. And straight away, Colleen's um, early life was very centred around religion. So her parents were both strictly religious and Colleen would attend church every weekend throughout all of her childhood, which I guess is pretty normal in America. From a very early age, she didn't just go to church because she felt like her family were making her. She actually held her faith in a very high regard and her faith is something that would play a huge part in her life uh, moving forward. So as a young girl, Colleen was extremely confident and highly sociable. She was very popular at school with both students and teachers and making friends was not an issue for Colleen. So refreshing to do a, a nice happy childhood. It gets dark though, doesn't it, Ben? Yeah, but I'm enjoying the highs while I can, mm. which I've been told you should do in life. Enjoy the highs when you can. Yeah. So as Ben said, there's no problems at home or at school for Colleen. She had a very happy and relatively carefree childhood. After leaving school, Colleen held a series of odd jobs, but due to having a very adventurous spirit, had plans to travel around America during her late teens and early 20s, working across the country while she travelled. So she's grown up through the 60s and the early 70s. The hippie movement is right, right in full swing. And I think, um, yeah, we're going to talk about hitchhiking in a minute, which over here isn't done so frequently i saw a hitchhiker the other day actually when i was driving over here didn't pick him up why i knew i'd get judged for this but i, w- I was running late i mean that doesn't yeah. and i was a bit intimidated where do you want to go i didn't stop i just drove past him sure wasn't scarecrow no he was, he was moving <laughs> hey fella all right you're not gonna... <laughs> i think it was a it was a thing like more of a thing over here again in those in those era apparently it, hitchhiking was a thing that went which with the hippie movement it was very much a, mm-hmm. yeah i think where are you going man Hop in. It's not over here, but... um, No, over there. Okay. Sorry, yeah. The village idiot was driving the car. (laughs) Yeah, I think think it was a big culture over here as well at one stage, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I think my mum hitchhiked the gigs. I might be wrong. So at the age of 17, Colleen, um, and we view this as maybe uh, an impulse of hers, but she decided to marry a man that she had met and fallen head over heels for, but they'd only been dating for a few months, and his name was Tom Smith. But there was plenty of them at that time as well, Tom Smiths, quite uh, common. However, just a couple of months after uh, the wedding, Colleen requested a divorce due to the fact that she felt they weren't very compatible and she felt like she had rushed into the decision. She's living life, Tom. She is. And Tom Smith's name is very common around there then, eh? Yeah. There's a lot of Tom Smith's about. Weird oh, thing to say. Dave Smith, probably a bit more common. In America? No. Maybe not. Tommy Smith. As Colleen grew into a young lady, most of her school friends moved out of state, with many of them moving from Oregon to California. Colleen began to frequently travel out to the West Coast to stay with friends, and the majority of her travels were made via hitchhiking. So Colleen was very good at befriending and maintaining conversation with strangers, even throughout drives, which could last up to eight or nine hours at a time. 
This is something that would later lead to her encounter in her captors, Cameron and Janice Hooker. So Janice was born in 1958. Now, the specific date as well as the location is not known. But what we do know about Janice is that she was physically and sexually abused by multiple family members, including her own parents from a very early age. She had been raped by two male family members before she even turned 12 years old. And none of her other family members appeared to do anything to protect or spare Janice from her abuse. This would go on to play a vital role in her build-up to eventually meeting Cameron, who we're going to go and talk about in a, a little bit. As a teenager, Janice had extremely low self-esteem to the point that this made her feel depressed and on occasion suicidal. She would also suffer from occasional epileptic seizures. So Janice, despite the abuse that she faced from her family, was still raised in an extremely religious environment, uh, particularly by her extremely religious parents. They wouldn't let Janice see boys, they wouldn't let her wear dresses or shorts, and they enforced a very strict curfew on her. However, this will go on to illustrate Cameron Hooker because he's there's so much that could be said about him. But after her parents spent 30 minutes meeting yeah. him for the first time, they decided, actually, you know what? Janice can go out with you. So he just had 30 minutes of her time whole life not not allowing her to see boys yeah. not allowing her to go out not allowing her to have a social life 30 minutes with Cameron Hooker changed all of that yeah and it, and she was 16 at the time and yeah it, it's, it shows how manipulative he is and how convincing he is and I guess in a way how charming he must have been as well definitely yeah definitely so the, they spend 30 minutes with him they allow her to go out with him and we're going to go and talk about the first date as well because that yeah. was very very interesting but otherwise her, her parents had very much sheltered Janice throughout uh, all of her upbringing so Cameron Hooker was born on the 5th of November 1953 in the city of Alturas California so he was between four and five years older than Janice and three years older than Colleen. There isn't a great deal of information available regarding the childhood and upbringing of Cameron Hooker. However, we do know that his family liked to move around various cities within California and they would move to four different cities before Cameron turned 10 years old, meaning that Cameron had to enroll in four different schools, which he found challenging. Yeah, so you always feel a bit like it's a lot of cases like that. When people move around, they feel a bit like the outsider. Even then, they learn how to make friends. They learn how to have a good, quite a good impression of people quite quickly because it's socially being shifted about you never feel settled so cameron was bullied regularly at school and it is alleged that he uh, was also physically abused frequently by both his mother and father it could be speculated that as a result of the physical abuse he suffered at the hands of his parents as well as the school bullies that the idea of power and control became something that cameron became obsessed with because again there isn't a huge amount about his background available yeah um so in terms of what motivated him to go on to do what he did it's quite difficult to pick a handful of instances in his childhood where you could say okay well he had this head injury yeah he was abused this way he observed this happening you know the only thing i could see is that he was physically abused by both of his parents and a little bit bullied at school yeah it doesn't seem enough to create the person that we're going to go into does it really so when cameron turned 16 the family made the decision to relocate to the city of red bluff california which will go on to become the key backdrop of today's case i think now ben it's time for your interesting people facts were, people were loving the jingle weren't they i don't know I think people were loving the jingle ben carter's interesting facts interesting facts are they i don't know interesting facts, facts. and there it was there's the jingle that everyone's loving at the moment So two two different uh, parts of or two different cities within California are going to come up in today's case. So Alturas, we talk about uh, California being a big big place. Alturas in particular had an abundance of wildlife, lots of big open spaces for the for the young Cameron to to roam about. Perhaps he got into fishing, hiking, hunting because after all, Tom or skiing, 
could have got got into skiing as well because there's there's some parts that get a little bit snowy. Yeah. Because after all, Tom, the city's motto is Ultras California, where the West still lives. So it's very generic information. There. Yeah. Okay. Still, Ben's you know, generic information that some people might find interesting. Some people. Yeah. Some. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not done there. Red Bluff. Go on there. Well, Red Bluff, Tom, was formerly known as Leodo- Leodosia. Was it? Yeah. Change it because it was hard to say. They uh, they were people. There were some people that struggled to say Leodosia, which I'm still second guessing myself about at the moment. However, it was changed in 1854 uh, when it was renamed Red Bluff, and the reason that they they call it a Red Bluff, you know, if you're playing a card game and you've just got a hand of hearts and diamonds, yeah, and you tell them you've got all black cards, yeah, that's called a Red Bluff, is it? Yeah, thought you'd like that, but. You, um, <laughs> No. <laughs> it was renamed Red Bluff due to the reddish sand and low bluffs on which it stands. What is a low bluff? A uh, hill. Is a bluff a hill? Uh, why are you asking me? This is, your, this is Ben's interest. Yeah, but in usually sort of we come together, we pool our resources. I asked you a I question, a bluff, you haven't done the research, bluff, no, and then I have to I, Google it. You look over that bluff. It's a hill. I'm putting my money and all my red cards <clears> on a hill. A beach ridge. Oh, oh that's kind of a hill. The buff is a cliff. Small hill. Yes. Elevation on the side of a mountain or hill. So it's more mountainy. Quite hilly though. You said hill twice. I don't think you should feel elated by the fact that you didn't do you guessed it. There you go. So let us know if you want any more of those. So yeah, are you in the Alturas camp or are you in the Red Bluff camp? After that, um one changed its name and the other one seems like it's quite a nice place to live. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Name change. Red Bluff. Sweet. Okay, I'll go with Alturas. Please do. So Cameron graduated from high school in 1972 and went on to become a labourer at a local lumber mill. So he was regarded as somebody who had all the skills to go on to become a successful carpenter. Yeah, which is a horrible bit of uh, foreshadowing given what he would later go on to construct. So in the summer of 1973, when Cameron was 19, he met Janice, who was just 15 at the time. He immediately found Janice attractive, but perhaps more so due to the fact that he felt he could manipulate and control her due to her history of abuse. So yeah, very allured to her, but perhaps there was a uh, an underlying motive to his attraction to her. Obviously, we haven't kind of revealed a certain trait to Cameron yet, which which seemed to develop out of nowhere, really. But him finding someone who thinks he can manipulate and he, who's vulnerable, maybe not intentionally looking out for those those signs in someone, but he he very much comes across someone who fits that category. This is definitely a, an allegedly moment because there's no concrete evidence that this happened, but it was mentioned by Janice in later court testimonies. Apparently during their first date, so not long after Cameron had been able to charm the parents of, of Janice, Cameron allegedly asked Janice to take all of her clothes off. He then suspended her from a tree and then proceeded to whip her with a tree branch. Janice at this point is terrified, but she is convinced by Cameron at the same time that this is kind of normal behaviour. This is what dates are. I mean, because she did live a show at live, so the argument is that she wasn't told anything about sex or dating or anything to do with boys, so she had no concept of what was normal. Yeah, so Cameron has jumped to uh, take advantage of this situation. Yeah, as as Tom mentioned, she kind of had no real world frame of reference to kind of point that into. So if it did happen, as she claims so in her court testimony, yeah, he's allegedly suspended her from a tree and whipped over a tree branch during the first date. Janice had not been in, and again, this kind of leads nicely on what Tom was saying. So Janice had not been in any relationships at this point in her life. And so she viewed Cameron as uh, potentially someone who could protect her and potentially someone who could take her away from all of the abuse that she was facing. 
However, again, this certainly wasn't going to be the case. So not long after the pair met, they began to date and quickly settled into a relationship. And during this time, Cameron decided to test the waters of what Janice would put up with. He initially started calling her names, such as bitch and whore, to see how she would respond. When she took no issue with it, he decided to test things further. So as Janice was incredibly submissive to Cameron's early abuse, Cameron decided to introduce sadomasochism and bondage to their relationship. And on one particular occasion, he almost drowned Janice during their session together. Yeah. I'm pretty open-minded, but where, wh- how do you... Go on. Sorry? No, go on. Pretty I, open-minded. I just, why does... What, how do you almost drown someone? Is that a bath gone wrong? Are you waterboarding them? What are you... Where does the frill element... So, say the mechanism. I don't think you just have them... Put the cannons on, have a nice bath and chat, has it? <laughs> no, but you can have a nice bath with a little bit of bondage going on. Can you? Go on. I, I don't know. I'm not... I'm not... I'm only... I, I'm not even You're quite really... open-minded. Go on. <laughs> The thing is about this open mind is it's empty. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, not like the bathtub because... Well, you've put her in the bathtub now. No, I haven't. I haven't put anyone anywhere. Just to, <laughs> but what I... Yeah. What I, be, I believe the whole point is like, you know, it's like kind of choking. I imagine it's yeah. maybe it's dunking in the head. That's how I would oh, imagine. okay. Oh, yeah, I've got images now. Okay. Why are you putting your hands down there? Don't worry. My hands are here. It's filming. <laughs> oh. For the audio listeners, my, it, my, uh, it's been evidence that my hands remained above the desk. So as well as nearly drowning Janice, uh, Cameron would also introduce whipping, handcuffing, choking, physical beatings and even electrical shocks to their sex life. One of Cameron's favourite game In that jacket. It's electrifying! (laughs) So one of Cameron's favourite games was to hang Janice by her wrists completely naked and strike her several times all over the body with a bullwhip. And this is something that he would do almost every evening with Janice. That's a game. People will believe later on that um, Janice is in on certain things later on when we go into it. But then from her childhood, she's gone from an abusive family household straight into this. So yeah, Janice very much splits opinion on this case. Some people believe she was complicit. in in what was happening but then also some people believe she's in part um, kind of the hero of this case maybe not as far as the hero but definitely played a role in resolving the case so she splits opinion Tom On January 18th 1975 Cameron and Janice got married in Reno, Nevada The ceremony itself was incredibly small with only a select few family members and friends from Cameron's side in attendance Ben, did the joke you wrote here? I didn't write it I think that was the researcher just trying to share a, a, a laugh Ben wrote, Janice became a hooker. Janice, hooker. We'll see if it makes it. It will make it. (laughs) So it's alleged that at the time that the pair got married, Janice was fully aware of a plan that Cameron had been hatching relating to abducting a stranger and keeping them as a sex slave for the couple to use together. Not only this, but the couple had planned to brainwash and manipulate their captives so heavily to the point that they could essentially have a menage a trois with their prisoner. Obviously, I've not accented it as well as I probably could have done, but essentially it means a a freeway lasting relationship. So perhaps Janice became more fond of this idea due to two conditions she was somehow able to agree with Cameron. And this is another kind of splitting point is the fact that if she was in a relationship where she had no control and she was being demanded to do things, how was she able to bargain with, with, with Cameron? So the first rule that Janice wanted to enforce was if Cameron was able to get a slave that he was only allowed to whip whip them. Janice would no longer be whipped. This is thought also because she basically traded off the idea she wanted to have a kid. So she's like, All right, if I can have a kid, you can have a slave essentially. Yeah. And the idea of she's going to be pregnant, the idea of any of this happening to her, 
you know, she didn't want her baby to be harmed, so it's kind of a bit of a trade-off there as well. And rule number two was Cameron would only have penetrative sex with Janice. Yeah, that rule was that rule at the beginning, and we'll go on to say how things change later on. So the couple decided to put their plan into motion on January 31st of 1976, just a year after they got married. They were driving late at night in their two-door Dodge Colt around Northern California when they entered the city of Chico, California. The pair were searching for their first potential victim on the lookout for young women suitable to be turned into sex slaves. Janice sat in the passenger seat in order to give the victims a false sense of security, but she actually refused to take part in any of the physical elements of the abduction otherwise so this is quite interesting because the idea the thought process behind having her in the car similar to ed kemper wearing his his nerdy glasses like he had particular glasses he'd wear in order to look less threatening didn't he well it was yeah it was that and there's also then it screams of like uh rose west and then myra hindley Mm. like because there's a a woman present it would be less intimidating maybe for for a female to get in the car with them but particularly as you said he they both kind of look a little bit Harmless. I think what Colleen later on described them as a kind of geeky couple. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't, it didn't appear like an immediate threat. So Cameron and Janice happened upon a 19 year old hitchhiker named Marie Elizabeth who was looking for a ride across the state. The couple, perhaps apprehensive or nervous about physically abducting someone, ended up driving Marie to her intended destination. But just as she was getting out of the car, Cameron grabbed her. The couple then drove Marie back to their home in Red Bluff, California, where she was chained to the wall of their basement. Over the next 24 hours, Marie was systematically undressed, tortured, molested and raped by Cameron and Janice. She was then shot in the stomach with a pellet gun before Cameron decided to strangle her to death while she was bleeding from her wound. There are lots of kind of points to discuss on this particular incident because this information would only later become known during the trial. But at the time when Marie Elizabeth did go missing, police very much were pointing the finger at her then boyfriend because the last time she was seen before she started hitchhiking, they had a very heated argument. So police would actually go on to spend almost six months interrogating the boyfriend, but also investigating the disappearance. But it could never be proven that he was involved in her disappearance. And all the while, Cameron and Janice basically used the distraction of police investigating the boyfriend to go on and basically go, right, okay, so we've had our slave for one day and then it's ended like this we want to think more long term about our next victim so they again go back to the idea of looking for hitchhikers but with the idea that they can keep someone captive for beyond 24 hours yeah that's the bit i don't really understand there because they already had a discussion they planned it out they had rules set in place so i don't know how it ended in such a fashion this is all also going off of janice's word mm. um so again she may have tried mm. to place a bit more blame on cameron yeah. But it's, yeah, it's a bizarre, unless something went wrong and there was a reason that she was shot, unless she broke free potentially, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Attempt number one, uh, getting their own sex slave, has, has failed with the death of uh, Marie Elizabeth. They're now on their lookout and using the distraction of the police investigation to get their next victim. And it's here that they encounter Colleen Stan. But before we go into this week's timeline, we want to say a quick thank you to this week's sponsor, Manscaped. So Ben, I'm yeah. meaning to ask you, does your snail trail look like the highway to hell? Is your bush peeking over the fence? The fact you've even had to think about this, Ben. I'm just absorbing the question. Yeah, well, the fact you've not even answered, you're thinking about it, yeah. means you're in need of this product. Oh, okay. Manscaped's Platinum Package. So the Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is for the man who truly deserves it all. So here, guys, we've got the Crop Reviver. I've talked about the smell of this bad boy and the feel of this bad boy many, many times. It's it's not lost it. Oh, that's going to stay. Oh, so fresh. We've also got then the Crop Preserver, which is the ball deodorant. Well, there's been flood warnings, Ben, but you put that on. There's not going to be a flood in your pants, is there, yeah, Ben? There's no drought well, around here. <laughs> I can't help if you're going to 
piss yourself, but you're talking about sweat. Yeah. Yeah. But there's been a drought as well. It's kind of topical, isn't it? Well, that's because of just, just... Yeah. Oh, okay. And this. They've also now got an ultra-premium body wash and an ultra-premium two-in-one shampoo. And obviously we mentioned Dan's big day. And I, big day. I said to him, Dan, don't be a silly bastard. Don't forget the weed whacker that Manscaped had given us. Mm-hmm. Sort out your ear hair and your nose hair for your big day. Make sure you're looking sharp. And ladies and gentlemen, that bloke was looking smooth as the day is long. <laughs> Compliment. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Thank you. And also said to him, and don't forget the anti-chafing boxes. I don't want you chafing when you're on the aisle, walking down the aisle, do, you know, doing your speech, walking around. I want you to be in your best form possible. So have the comfiest boxes out there. And guys, why not join the six million other men out there and use Manscaped? By heading over to manscaped.com and using our code ICMAP for 20% off and free shipping. Get yourself or the man in your life looking as fresh as the day is long. You're really pushing that expression. Yeah. Hashtag fresh as the day is long. Fresh as the day is long. And back to the case. May the 19th, 1977. A 20-year-old Colleen Stan decides to set out and hitchhike to a friend's party in Northern California from her family home in Eugene, Oregon. I've actually heard that her 
car wouldn't start as well so that's the entire reason that she ended up hitchhiking on this particular day. Colleen is an experienced hitchhiker so the decision to make the journey in this way is not a rash one or an unusual one for her. Hitchhiking at the time was quite a common way of getting around for Colleen and her peers as it was considered a cheap and easy method of getting from A to B. So this particular route from Eugene, Oregon to Northern California is when we looked at the maps kind of between eight and nine hours so it's mm. not that could be a series of hitchhikes. That's what they say. Uh, oh, yeah. this is going to be a series, this one. Hitchhikes. Probably have to wave down probably four or five different people if, you know... Thumb down, Ben. Thumb them down, yeah. Wave them and then thumb it at the same time. Yeah? I've heard that that works really well. For what? Hitchhiking. Okay. Yeah, it's a long old way and fortunately, this is kind of the sliding door events, the car not starting then her having to do this, but it's just, it's well, I just think hitchhiking it sounds like such a hassle. So Colleen, uh, with her experience, she she was successful. She hitched a ride with a couple um, lorries on the way there and she managed to get a good distance along their journey. So she's feeling good. She's making good time. But then her experience of hitchhiking kind of comes into play. She denies an offer of a lift from two passing cars, which she basically looked in one car. I, had, like, I think it had five guys in there and she was like, this doesn't seem right for me I'd to go into McDonald's. that. So, yeah, she, so that shows she's not just accepting any ride from any person. She's actually thinking about it logically, like, does this seem right? Does it, is this a bit intimidating? Is the vibe off? So yeah. um, it's interesting. She I did, imagine she, if you're in like a road where there's fewer and fewer cars passing, do you then start to get a little bit more desperate with who you will and will not get in a car with? I imagine you would, and especially if you're losing the light and whatnot, and yeah. you've got your time or date you need to be there for imagine it does get stressful but eventually she settled on a ride with a young couple as the couple had a baby in the car with them colleen feels this is a safe option and jumps into the vehicle explaining who she is and where she's off to but the young couple introduce themselves as cameron and janice hooker and seem pleasant enough at the first and the car proceeds for a number of miles before stopping at a service station now this point is a really really interesting point and it's all based around the kind of gut feeling and following your animal instinct. So uh, Colleen goes to use the bathroom, but when she goes to use the bathroom, she's feeling this sense of dread creep into her. She would later go on to say that she thought this was a sign from an angel or from God to say that this isn't right. She had the kind of the overwhelming urge to run, jump out a window and never look back. But something stops her from doing this and she shakes off that feeling of feeling comfortable, goes back to the car yeah carries on the journey which is obviously it's a key moment where mm -hmm. it's it's interesting and sometimes you get that gut feeling and whether you follow it or not or whether you ignore it yeah but it's an innate kind of quality that i think people just have don't they yeah and i think with with her as well she was repeating that through her head as well okay it's a young couple there's a baby in the car they yeah. look kind of dorky kind of yeah. harmless and it would be really rude just to run away from them and leave them yeah leave them. I, I think you could the rude bit, you can can quite essentially just go like, oh, I'm actually going to stay around here for a bit quite like it. The service station's she great. starts hitchhiking right yeah, next yeah. to them. Yeah, no, I'm gonna, just going to wait. We don't, I, just, oh, I like that car, just going to thumbs up to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's just an interesting one, man. Sadly, sadly, she doesn't follow her gut instinct here. So little does Colleen know that this split decision will change her life forever. She gets back into the car and the party carry on with their journey for another few miles. However, Colleen notices a change in the atmosphere within the car. So repeatedly every few minutes, she would look into the wing mirror and notice that Cameron was not just looking at her staring at mm. her regularly and repeatedly staring at her so that made her feel very uncomfortable so colleen's senses are heightened when cameron pulls off the main road into a secluded area janice and their infant baby get out of the car leaving colleen alone with cameron cameron's friendly demeanor quickly changes and he lunges at colleen with a knife holding it to her throat and forcing her into submission so another kind of 
recollection of events is that when she got back in the car from uh, from being in the gas station, that there was a wooden box placed in one of the seats. What then happens is Cameron essentially forces her at knife point into submission and places a homemade box made of wood over Colleen's head. The device is designed to block out all light, sound or limit air from entering too. So we'll, uh, we'll pop some photos up um, as we're talking through this as well. Disabled by the box and unable to make a sound, Colleen feels completely terrified and alone, unsure of what these monsters will do next. And when you see the picture, this is what I said at the start of the episode, I just saw it as a thumbnail, this yeah. box. It is absolutely grim. Obviously, Cameron had many years under his belt working in a lumberyard as a labourer. He was quite a skilled carpenter. And this device that he's made, I think it was lined with carpet on the inside. Yeah, so is, it, is it this one, Ben? That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a kind of antiques suitcase in a way, but it's got hinges on it. And essentially, yeah, one of the horrible things I heard in the documentary was this basically as well to muffle out any screams. Which yeah, is so just from the inside for her, pitch black, you can't hear anything, you can't see anything, and essentially you can't say anything either because mm. it will, yeah, it will act as a muffler. I thought when I first saw the image, it looks like something you'd see in one of the Saw movies. Yeah, that's fair. And, and as well as this, They've got a baby in the car with them that's watching all of this happen. I'm not feeling good for the baby, but I don't think the no. baby's going to go. I don't think you have many memories from Lads, that. that's a bit much. <laughs> Put the box down. <laughs> I felt bad for the baby. I think we all do feel bad for the baby, yeah, but yeah. the baby's not. You shouldn't have to see that. No one should. Yeah, I think no, no one should. should personally, but... No, I agree. I don't know. I think I said it first, actually. Do you? Yeah. All right, Grace, come on, let's keep going. So Cameron and Janice then take Colleen back to their house in Red Bluff, California, and they force her down to their basement. If what we have just described isn't horrific enough, it's really only just starting in terms of what they go on to, to put Colleen through. So the wooden box is removed from her head and she is strung up by chains by her wrists. So she was made to stand on an, like an icebox essentially this stage and then went with the chains around the wrist, they kicked the icebox out of the way. So she's suspended in the air. So you can imagine just all the weight going down with chains around your wrist, how painful that would be. And the first night, Cameron whips and beats Colleen and then proceeds to have sex with Janice underneath Colleen's suspended body. So yeah, That's I mean, horrific. that even just adds to the idea of like, Janice being the victim and things as well. She's very complicit with all this. Like we said earlier on, it kind of grazed the kind of area there in terms of her involvement and wanting to be involved. And was she getting a thrill from this as well? So once Cameron and Janice had finished having sex, Colleen is released from the chains. However, she is now to endure another form of restriction and has led to another homemade wooden box and instructed to get inside. For the next few months, Colleen is subjected to spending the majority of her day confined to this box and only let out for daily torture sessions at the hands of Cameron. So as we kind of discussed just before we jumped into the timeline, prior to abducting Colleen, Cameron and Janice had basically been planning to capture a, a young female for some time. And this was an agreement made by Cameron and Janice so that Janice could ha go ahead and have a baby and ha no longer be subject to the beatings. And so that Cameron then could essentially act out all of his BDSM fantasies on this particular slave. And I feel like as well, yes, we talked about the electrocutions, the beatings, the whipping, that almost drowning Janice, but mm. I feel like he still maybe had some sort of restraint with her. I feel like he didn't unleash all of his fantasies on her. I think and, he was whipped with her. Yeah, but he also, you know. No, he was whipped. Well, she had some power over him because she was able to enforce these, essentially enforce these rules and bargain the fact that like, okay, we'll do this. That means you're not going to do this anymore. It's like, okay. They're using the term slave, mm. immediately belittling them. I feel like it's, yeah, I feel like she's going to get a considerably worse treatment at the hands of these two than Cameron ever did to, to Janice. Yeah, and it's alleged that 
during these Janice would actually she'd bite her and things like that it's not, ju- it's not just a case of Cameron would do all the things and then she wasn't at all doing anything but uh, yeah, allegedly she also would, would bite Colleen when she was tied up as well As we mentioned Janice up until this point had been Cameron's sexual outlet for his desires and she had grown tired of having to put up with the whippings and the beatings She agreed to the couple bringing in a third party into their marriage as a way of personal survival believing that if Cameron had someone else to act out his fantasies on she would be left alone to care for their child so that in itself is a horrific dynamic yeah it was agreed between the couple that there was to be no penetrative sex between cameron and the slave although this agreement would peter out over the coming months and cameron would include rape in his chosen methods of torture for colleen so Colleen is in this box for a number of months you could even stretch her legs in it we'll put a picture of it as well being stuck in there pretty much all hours of the day only to be brought out to experience more torture so it's like you're not even wanting to get out because you, it's going to be worse for you than being in there Colleen later would describe it in an interview as being like a prisoner of war yeah. you know being completely um, not knowing what day it was not knowing what hour it was not knowing what was going on and then being completely humiliated and having everything taken away from you so as we mentioned before Cameron being good with building uh, different contraptions Sadly for Colleen, this wasn't. He was still had a lot of things he wanted to make, and one of these things was was like a pulley system with the chains, where you put the uh, put the arms at one end of the pulley system and the legs at the other, it's and kind of like in the uh, medieval times, a stretching yeah, rack. Exactly that, yeah. So she'd be put onto that. Cameron's he's a tall guy, like six three. He's a mm-hmm. tall dude, and he's putting all his like strength and muscles into essentially stretching her on this device, which you could only imagine the pain of yeah. the chains just slowly. Well, that, that when they for the first night that they brought her back and they they hung her mm. by her wrists in the basement like yeah. oh, think of all your body weight just yeah. it's pulling your wrists and your shoulders out of joint but then also the chains cutting into your wrists yeah while she's stretched out or, or hanging he's then whipping her mm. that's the part that just all of this doesn't make sense in terms of what he did why he did it how he did it but I really struggled to find what happened in his life to then him all yeah. of a sudden. All I could see is that he was abused a little bit by his parents, from what we understand, and then it got bullied at school. Yeah. Like, there's no other significant trauma. So with Ramirez, you could see a link between, even though it's yeah. disgusting, a link between him associating sexual acts with... That became his... Violence, yeah. Yeah. With this, it's just like guy that's gone down a completely different path to everyone else. He's had a bit of a rough childhood, but... And it's completely at random with Colleen as well. That it's not like Colleen had done anything to him in the past. They, no. they were strangers. So she's in this situation for a few months before um, they actually go on to move house. They move to a mobile home. So obviously, as we mentioned, Colleen is being kept in a basement area. And the mobile homes, you don't have basements. So they had to kind of come up with an alternative method and how they're going to keep Colleen captive, which is where this takes an even... It'll continue. This case will continue to do this. Every few months that pass, there's just a, a bizarre, drastic turn. So Cameron would get the tools out once again and design this new wooden box, which would allow Colleen to lie down, but would prevent her from sitting up or rolling over. So it really constricted. It looks exactly like a coffin. Yeah. And this box is kept underneath Cameron and Janice's waterbed, and it's not knowingly visible to the untrained eye. Just the thought of that. You're literally being put under this bed. The pictures are just—it's unthinkable. And like, yeah, she she would be be in that box for up to twenty-three hours a day. She's forced to be kept silent in the box. I think there's a few holes in the ground, so there'd be a bit of air, so she's not going to uh, suffocate. And it, even there was a bedpan for her to go to the toilet in, but she'd have to kind of essentially do it lying down. 
Yeah. So it's just it's so inhumane. It's unreal. And the California, Northern California weather was you know, very hot summers, very yeah. cold winters. So either way, she's suffering there as well. Yeah. And yeah, not great air quality at all. Yeah. So as Tom mentioned, she's forced to remain in that box for up to 23 hours a day uh, with very limited access to food and drink. But even when she does get out for that one hour a day, she's subjected to torture, beatings, molestations, rape. It's yeah, there's no safe haven for her whatsoever. After a substantial period and once Colleen had demonstrated the fact that she could be trusted uh, to keep quiet and not to attempt to escape, she is let out of the box for longer intervals of time and is allowed to do odd chores around the house. It is claimed that these chores were conducted naked in order to satisfy Cameron's fantasies which were allegedly inspired by the BDSM novel Story of O. Familiar with that book, Ben? Story of O. No. Have a beer and talk about it if you want, but I've not really, not really explored BDSM, to be honest. I think you're quite an open-minded guy. I, I am. Okay. In January 1978, Cameron basically decides that Colleen is no longer to be known by that name and they dehumanise her even more and call her Kay. She had to refer to Cameron as Master and Janice as Ma'am. So, yeah, it, it, like same with Prisoners of War, with, with, with the numbers or the letters, whatever. They, they take away the name, they take away her identity, manipulating so she's literally worthless to them and she doesn't even deserve her own name. So even when she was allowed to uh, kind of you know, walk around the uh, the mobile home and, and conduct various chores in the nude. If at any point Cameron shouted attention, she would immediately have to run to a certain spot in the house where then she would put her hands up to the ceiling and Cameron would just be allowed to whip her. And it became like uh, she he'd conditioned her just to do that. Mm. Yeah, it's horrific. And this is a really shocking part of this, which shows the amount of thought they kind of put behind this as well. Cameron begins his brainwashing of Clean by informing her that he's a member of a thing called the Company, which is a powerful secret society that specialises in the sale and exchange of female slaves around the world. So essentially he, he's saying he's part of this company. If she tries to escape, people within the neighbourhood will see, will see him, either bring, him back to, bring her back to them, or you know they could kill her, or even he could sell her on to someone else from the company who would treat her far worse than what he's treating her. So he's threatening her, and people might say, oh, how could she possibly go on to believe that? But then you think of the situation she's been in, yeah. and the amount of time, the month she's been given this torture. Mm-hmm. It's not out of the question to think that this could be going on somewhere else. Oh, definitely. So the company, she is told, is a global organisation with members embedded in the government, a secret services and judicial system. Cameron explains to Colleen that they are watching her at all times, and should she ever think about trying to escape or get a message out that she's being kept captive, then her family will be immediately endangered. I guess for, for the fact that he's completely isolated her and cut her off from the rest of society, and the fact that at the time, the late 70s, there was nothing else out there I guess to say that this wouldn't be a possibility I can I can completely understand why she would have believed it or is she is she gradually b- believing the idea because as well in part and we'll talk about this more she's again trying to be the model prisoner the model slave that she wants to be falling in line to avoid punishment or she wants good behavior is she sort of going along with what he says initially but then as he continues to brainwash her which we'll talk about she believes it to be a real thing because this the company she ends up fearing the company more than she fears him mm. which i think is really it's heavy very very heavy yeah i think i think the fact that Cameron, i think would also like the, the ideal thing for him is for her to like him or like him but be scared of him at the same time but essentially if he's saying you know you could end up with someone worse than me it's a kind of a way to manipulate her to kind of warm to him a bit and kind of like not want to upset him to the point where 
she's going to be passed on to someone a lot worse, I guess. Cameron presents Colleen with a contract, ultimately forcing her into a life of slavery. He basically has written this handwritten contract he's, he's written for her to sign, which will essentially have Colleen agreeing to be a slave to, the, to him furthermore. See, so no other option of thinking it is the only way to survive and to protect her family. Colleen agrees to sign the document, handing her life over to the hookers and agreeing to become their personal slave. So yeah, this contract of slavery was literally cut out of a BDSM magazine mm. that, um, that Cameron had collected, so he literally handed her that. The company becomes Colleen's greatest fear, especially as their presence and power is reinforced on a daily basis to her by Cameron. So he's continuing to make various threats about the fact that the company are watching, the company can do this the company can do that colleen becomes increasingly paranoid that she is forever being watched and as a result complies to everything demanded of her by the hookers in turn her good behavior earns her more rights she is allowed out to exercise do housework and babysit the couple's now two young children because this is the thing they even get to the point where they felt like they had so much control over her and she had so much fear of the company mm. They'd let her go out in the garden. They'd let her socialise kind of down the street. They'd let her go jogging. Yeah. So just to show how much they'd conditioned her and the fact that she was living in fear of, of repercussions. Well, the fact they even had happy enough to have two young children at the time, and that's just horrible in itself. They think that's going on all... All this is going on in the same household. It's just... Even though she's doing all this stuff, she's still getting put to bed underneath... Yeah. In, ...under the box, which is just terrifying. She's put back in the box at the end of the night underneath the bed until she's summoned to the next morning or whenever she's needed the next day so it's it's baffling interestingly the couple's two children never realize that colleen is kept in the box under their parents bed as they are told that colleen goes home at the end of every day as colleen is completely submissive and never makes a sound the children have no reason to think anything otherwise so they basically frame it as a babysitter mm. anytime she's there and not to make light of the waterbed situation but I also imagine that's not an easy quick right lift the waterbed up lift the, ha the, the hinge of the, the door to the box up get in the box put it down waterbeds are heavy I thought it was more sliding oh under. still heavy because I don't oh, think I don't the mattress know. is going on her no but I thought the bed was literally on a, on a wooden flat wooden bed like this you had to then lift that off then the box was in there. Oh, I thought it was more like a, a matchbox. So Colleen says that during this time, although her fear of the company was so strong, her belief in God was stronger, and it was thanks to this faith that she truly believes she was able to keep her mind strong and ultimately keep herself alive. So she continues to act in line with what the hookers are demanding of her. At one point as well, she's obviously rewarded for various good behaviour. Cameron approaches her to say, look, it's Christmas you can call your family to let them know you're okay. So there was a very powerful moment when she calls the family home, her younger sister answers, and she's very, it's a highly emotional phone call, but she very quickly lets her know that she's alive, she's safe, and that she's going to be okay. And I think the family, because the family hadn't heard from her in three years, they, they spent the first year very, very hastily trying to locate her, find out where she was, that she was okay. But I think they were of the belief that Eva, because of the time frame as well, that, you know, mid to late 70s, She'd either joined a cult or she was dead or she'd gone kind of and gone off with a, a hippie kind of group or traveling group. So they were very, very happy to hear her voice, if only for a few seconds. Yeah. And then four years after her initial capture in 1981, Colleen is granted permission to go home and visit her family in person. This is what I find another truly baffling moment because it's just such a risk from the Cameron's perspective in terms of yeah I couldn't believe it but then she's going there thinking that if she says anything the company will uh, 
you know, take out her family or whatever. So she's going there under that pretense. So she's not going to go out there and just suddenly act out as she in terms of that in that situation. So Cameron actually accompanies her back to her family home, posing as a fiance, and the couple are even getting photographed, smiling and hugging during the visit. It's got a famous photo of them looking quite happy together. Yeah, they do. And prompting Colleen's family to believe that everything is okay. I think probably the age as well, that because it's only three years difference. It's not yeah. going to be as you know. It's not like an. Even in this case, it's a much older man, isn't it? And, exactly. Yeah. So that's bizarre. The fact that he has a wife. Well, we've seen that similar sort of thing with Ariel Castro, mm. with with Joseph Fritzl. What I find weird is that he's. This must be a power and control thing for him because this is almost a flex. Like, I'll let you go and see your parents, but I'm coming with you and I'm your fiance. Mm. Or is it a case of he's doing that and then in his head it's buying him more time in case he is worrying about being to search for her and if it's like does this and it basically it makes him look good in a way, doesn't it? Because if ever he ever did get found yeah. out, he could say, "Look, I wasn't keeping her. Look, I true. came to her family. We were there." Yeah, look. It, was, it was complicit. The photo. The, the, the photo. photo. Yeah. Look at the photo. She's smiling. I'm smiling. Killeen's family are naturally delighted that she's returned to visit them as they've been worried that she had perhaps become a member of a cult due to the lack of communication and did not want to pressure her more on the situation out of fear she may cut off contact altogether. So Clean, while she was there, she didn't divulge any other information to her family in fear of the company's repercussions. After visiting her family and upon returning to the hooker's home, Cameron feels he has been too lax with Colleen and perhaps fearing her eyes have been opened up once more to the outside world, immediately revokes all the recent improvements to her life. So this is again really strange behavior from him he'd gone and had a a, a chance to, to meet her family a chance to pose as her fiance which i feel like was kind of maybe even a fantasy of his he's then as soon as he's returned something has switched and he now turns into this this monster again so she is confined once again to the wooden box where she is forced to spend hours upon hours with nothing but her own thoughts for company colleen remains in the box for up to 23 hours a day for the next three years. So it's not even a small reaction to this. It's three years he's gone. Okay, enough of that. She's terrifying. So later on in life, in various interviews given by Clean, she describes the ordeal as completely claustrophobic. She only managed to survive by mentally taking herself to some place else. She states in her mind that she went on picnics and holidays with her family, which is just... It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. So over the years, Janice Hooker becomes increasingly more observant of her husband's behaviour and becomes jealous of the attention that she is directing towards Colleen. She basically starts to see it where he's talking about Colleen all the time and Janice is, is, is upset by this. But then also he occasionally, when he does allow her out of the box, he's not torturing her as much now, mm. but he's trying to be more kind of intimate and passionate with her. Yeah. And I think this is where Janice really changes her attitude towards what's going on. So although we cannot paint Janice as a completely innocent party in all of this, we do need to bear in mind that Janice was 16 when she first met Cameron, who was three years older than her, and she had come from an abusive family herself. She was immediately subjected to a life of pain, misery, and manipulation by Cameron, who, as we mentioned earlier, used Janice as a sex slave prior to the kidnapping of Colleen. So allegedly later on there was a conversation between Cameron and Janice about um, him being allowed to actually have sex with Colleen. Sex is not the word, rape Colleen essentially. And that allegedly was agreed, so that started to happen as well during this stage. It, it wasn't just a case of a few years did go past without any rape, and then that would start to come into play and start happening as a regular occurrence in the household as well. So when Cameron vocalises that he wants to create a bigger space to keep more slaves and eventually make Colleen his second wife, Janice's loyalties start to waver and an unravelling of compliance begins. And again, if he wants a bigger space, he's, he's living in a mobile home, what's his plans? So some of his, some of his ideas were either moving into a bigger property, one with a basement, 
or actually digging down and creating like an underground dungeon where he could keep all of his slaves. In 1984, Cameron once again relaxes the rules in place against Colleen and allows her to get a part-time job at a nearby motel, although all money earned from this job is handed straight over to the hookers. I think Janice and Cameron weren't having the best time financially as well at this point so they just thought oh you'll give her an extra right to do something but we're gonna benefit from it as well i still imagine that colleen would have been more than happy oh yeah the, the respite of getting away and seeing other people but it shows the complete confidence that, that they thought that she wouldn't at all do anything and i know a lot of people have kind of questioned why she feel she could possibly do that but but i guess you know if she's scared of the, the company she's not gonna risk it and risk her family being harmed he also allows her to attend church services with Janice and it is over their shared appreciation for God and the church that the two women strike up an unlikely bond despite having such drastically different upbringings they both had very strictly religious yeah. parents that yeah from an early age introduced them to religion so and this is a key moment isn't it because yeah. this leads to everything unravelling Janice, feeling ever more guilty over the situation regarding Colleen's captivity, seeks solace in her pastor, who tells her to do the right thing and advises that she too escapes the clutches of her husband. Imagine them being the pastor and hearing that. Surely the pastor then should... It's heavy, isn't it? That's, that's a lot to... Not, not pastor, pastor. Um, it's heavy for that religious pastor to absorb all that information. There was also at the time that Janice had basically unloaded all of this information onto the pastor. He advised he needed to get a second person to hear her kind of recollection of events because he couldn't process what she was what she was explaining to him. Once they do that, he then advises, you know, you need to do the right thing and, and, and escape. So as Janice's relationship with Colleen gains confidence, I think Janice basically starts to realise as well he has put Colleen through all the same things yeah. that... Uh, apart from the box that he'd put her through. So Janice starts to break down the walls bit by bit as she explains to Colleen how she too has been subjected to a life of torture and psychological abuse. Janice even explains to Colleen that she isn't the first slave the couple have captured, like we mentioned earlier on with Marie Elizabeth. Janice says about how Marie Elizabeth was kidnapped under similar circumstances and subjected to whippings and beatings while strung up in chains, just like Colleen had been in the early days. Denise explains how Marie had ultimately been murdered by Cameron, fearing she may lose her life too, had agreed to search for another slave in replacement. I don't, you don't know if this is where Janice is painting a picture, that how I wasn't involved in that, or, you know, she's is she kind of trying to write her story there herself. Colleen is startled by the revelation, but it does provide some clarity with regards to a strange photograph that's being kept inside her wooden box. She believes that the girl shown in the picture must be Marie and was placed there as a warning from the ever-controlling Cameron. So within this box that she was kept in for... for you know, 23 hours a day, there is this this kind of Polaroid image of a, a girl that she couldn't identify. Having been too scared to previously ask, Kalina spent years looking at that particular photograph of the unknown girl, wondering who she was and what the picture signified. The twisted lies Cameron has fed her begin to become unraveled. And when Janice informs her that the company does not exist and is merely a fictitious organisation that, that uh, Cameron had created... Colleen has a moment of mental clarity and the psychological barrier lifts. And this is the big, big moment. So as soon as she realises, and I mean, it seems fairly quick that she's just, all right, I don't, I don't believe in it, but I suppose everything else that she shared with her, mm. they've clearly, their relationship has developed. Well, like, let's just say, say you're playing a game of floor is lava, Ben. Yep. I'm like, floor's not lava anymore. You're going to be able to walk around the room willy-nilly. Bare, barefooted. Yeah. yeah. But she's the whole time, she's thinking the company's out there. Yeah. If you're told, that one thing you feared more than anything, 
isn't actually a thing. I guess it would hit you like a, you know, it's just like, oh, I actually, the only thing keeping me here is Cameron. Would you not think, though, based on what he's done to her before, I know obviously he's on a flurry of being nice to her again, mm. Would you not think still the things he's capable of in terms of what he's done to her, she'd still have a little bit of fear of repercussions? She, he's been to the family house. He knows where she's probably going to go. He could hurt her family. Hurt. Yeah, I mean, one thing we haven't really touched on is also Stockholm Syndrome is that she, over time, she would, because she thought this was her life now, she started like kind of, in a way, making herself, you know, be pleasant to them and enjoy their company a bit because she, the nicer she was, the less she kind of, she was getting tortured because that wasn't what he wanted from the torture. He wanted her to be scared or be in pain. So if she's kind of being nice and, you know, loving, he was less likely to act out these things upon her. So there's also a slight bit of this Stockholm Syndrome thing of, did she want to leave the situation a bit? Yeah. And also, yeah, I mean, people, it's quite easy to victim blame and say, well, why didn't they run away? But she obviously, like you're saying, Ben, yeah, she would be scared of what the repercussions could have been. Yeah, it's a, it's a very tricky one to say, but I guess because it's so instilled her all along about this company, once that's gone, she's kind of felt... That was the true fear, wasn't it, yeah. the company rather than Cameron? So, yeah, as soon as Janice informs her that the company doesn't exist, something changes within Colleen. So Colleen realises that she can now freely leave and that all this time was living under the oppression of the feared company had been a lie. In August of 1984, more than seven years after being kidnapped whilst hitchhiking, Colleen is driven to the bus station by Janice, where she then calls her family and asks them to wire money for her to make the long bus journey home. After ending the call with her family, she calmly and bravely calls Cameron and she tells him she is leaving him. Which again, if that's someone that's kept you captive for seven years, done all these mm. disgusting things to you, I find this element really strange as well. Is this a power thing on her part to kind of... Well, it's a big, I think it's just a big fuck you, isn't it? Yeah, that's the only thing I can, I can think. But it, it, it's reported that during this call, Cameron repeatedly breaks down in tears as Colleen basically explains that she's learned the company isn't real, my family aren't in danger, I'm not in danger... I can go and is never returning. But Cameron's reaction seems to be, you know, he doesn't go after her, he doesn't go after her family, and he he almost reacts as if it's a, a breakup. It's one of the things here, though, but it might be it might be part of that. Is prior to her escape, Janice had made clean swear that she would not report her husband Cameron to the police, and Janice strongly believed that she would be able to reform her husband and make him into a better man. So perhaps there was a case of you know one of the tragic things in a lot of these relationships is thinking you can change someone, mm -hmm. even yeah. like over a series of doing podcasts together. Um, but then uh, that was a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the fact that she thought that. The fact that Janice thought she could change Cameron. I'm surprised that. Um, if you could change me, what would you, what would you like to do? How much time have you got? It's late, Ben. It's late. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm quite surprised with the fact that Colleen did call um, Cameron and say this stuff that she didn't actually go on to call the police. Yes. Yeah. yeah that yeah. that still shows an element of. Lord, is, this, is this part of the Stockholm syndrome though that she still feels kind of trust even post? But captivity. But perhaps it was with the agreement with, Jan with Janice, considering she did so much to help her in a way. I don't know. It's, it's very... Maybe she still is, in part, believing that not the company isn't real, but in part, the power that he has, she's still not going to be completely safe. Because, number one, he's been to the family house, he's yeah, met her true. parents. She's not out of his reach. Mm. So maybe this is her... I mean, to be fair, if I'm offered a chance to get out of that situation, which is absolutely horrific, I can't even imagine seven years of what, what this poor lady experienced. But if I'm given the opportunity to not call the police and then you can go, 
Yeah. I'm 100% doing that. But then the urge to call the police. But maybe as well, it's we're going to go on to this year, a, a quote where she actually explains why she doesn't uh, call the police. But is it a sense of as well, you don't want to, you don't want to be put into the same room as that person? You, you want to relive that You trauma. want to move on. You don't want to see that person. You just want to kind of forget everything. That's a, that's a good point. So in an interview given later with CBS News, Colleen explains why she couldn't have simply just walked out the door during all the years she was held captive. Now, producer Dan is going to read this in a girl's voice. <laughs> People don't understand all the threats made against me, my family. There's a lot more to it than just walking away. When you're sexually abused, these things solidify the fact that if you don't do what I say, I can take your life. I thought, what if he catches me when I try to escape? It wasn't like I never thought about these things. I did, but I never felt safe to act out on them until his wife came to me and said, we have to get out of here. So as well, I mean, I'm sure under that bed for 23 hours a day, I'm sure she's thinking about that all the time Mm -hmm. the key moment here is Cameron allowing Colleen to attend church with Janice because there's some moment of clarity Mm. there where Janice realises number one the amount of guilt that is on her part but number two the fact that they're so similar in terms of the experiences they've gone through if Janice hadn't done that would would no one have ever found out about this case how many more Colleen stands are out there in the world how many more um, Cameron hookers are out there in the world because I imagine there are numerous which is a terrifying thought i mean we said that didn't we with the fritzel case with the ariel castro case yeah the amount of these well, about, the amount of missing people there are yeah 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 it's, it's terrifying janice however having stayed out of hope soon realizes that cameron is never to change his ways urged by her pastor and other friends to leave and out of fear of bringing harm onto their two children janice eventually reports her husband to the red bluff police three months after colleen has escaped they caught him red-handed, but they thought it was bluffing. Yeah. Doesn't work. Just had two spades in a club. In November 1984, Cameron Hooker is arrested. He is charged with the kidnap, false imprisonment, and multiple sexual assault charges, including rape and sodomy against Colleen Stan. He is not charged for the abduction and murder of Marie Elizabeth, as sadly her body is never retrieved. Janice is not charged and is granted full immunity on the agreement that she testifies in full against her husband, which I think... Controversial one, isn't it? Yes, because... She definitely played her part in both the crime and the escape. Yeah, so, so the escape, obviously, obviously that is a great thing. But then I guess Colleen must have had some, not some say directly in that, but she would obviously be the one saying what they had done to her during that time. I wonder what exact, what Colleen's actual feelings to that is. When the trial happened as well, they were the two star witnesses, mm. Janice and Colleen. So she, it almost seemed like with Janet, well, I mean, he, he clearly, Cameron was clearly the ringleader and he had both of them under his control at various points. Mm. But is that Janice trying to distance herself from him by implicating him further? Like we've seen that in a few other yeah, cases yeah. we've covered. Well, like um, Eileen Wernos. Yeah, yeah. Her partner was very much calling her up and throwing her under the bus and getting her to admit these things, even though she's complicit in getting her to, to commit these crimes in order yeah. to live a certain lifestyle. So it's kind of like, police want this to be done and dusted and they're thinking this is the best way of getting him convicted. I would have thought Colleen Stan's testimony would have been enough. Yeah. During the 1985 trial of Cameron Hooker, his wife Janice and Colleen Stan are the two star witnesses. And although Cameron admits to the kidnapping of Stan, he maintains that the sexual relations conducted were completely consensual. And we saw exactly the same thing with Ariel Castro. Mm. That was a house full of love and all this and all that. I think a house full of love probably doesn't have a lot of chains in them, in my opinion. Yeah, 
Maybe some houses, but unlikely. Regardless of Cameron's explanation of the events, Janice and Colleen's testimonies, along with the evidence presented, such as the wooden box and various other restraining devices, convince the jury that he is a dangerous predator and Cameron Hooker is sentenced to 104 years in prison, where he still remains to this day. The trial was a really interesting one because they actually brought the second box where it was under the waterbed into the courtroom and they kept it there for the entire case, mm. for the entire trial. And they invited members of the jury to either step into the box or to approach it, look into yeah. it. And I think that's almost the, the evidence as well as the testimony as well. That's the Yeah, I mean, if you, if you picture the idea of spending one day, one day in that box underneath a bed, that's horrible in itself. Mm -hmm. That over years upon years. Yeah. Especially after you've kind of been given the, like hand up a little bit of freedom and suddenly, no, three years, you're back in the box, 24 hours a day. It's, it's, when you see Colleen in interviews, I saw a documentary, I think, I think it was too long ago, had been interviewed. She seems so well adjusted for someone who's been through this as well. She speaks very well. She's gone on to live a life or going to a bit more now, the aftermath. But you think of all the, you know, her mental strength to be able to, to, oh God, to yeah. deal with all that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's horrible yeah and i mean to paint cameron hooker in the the polar opposite i have a quote for him for after the moment he was sentenced so he basically said this to his lawyer so i don't know why his lawyers come out to share this quote i want you to thank the judge for me i now have a library and a gym and the time to enjoy them and it's better than living with those two women i mean the weirdly the lawyer really liked him because he was polite yeah, yeah. and he was it's like you know what he's done why are you going on documentaries and saying how much you like this guy he was polite well. and he was on top. It's like, it's just so, so weird. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a really intriguing one in the sense of we haven't got that information or it's not out there in terms of what was the thing that made him turn into this monster. Yeah, we said when you look at him, when you look at the photos of him, he doesn't, not that, ever, not that people look the type of person, but he's, he, he looks like we said before, many people, I guess, harmless, doesn't he? Yeah. It, it's, it's, but it's baffling. So um, a bit of aftermath now. Colleen Stan continues to suffer with spinal and shoulder injuries to this day. Sustained from her time being kept in restrictive devices during her life as Kay. Like we mentioned in the um, Fritzl case, a lot of the children will grow up with having difficulties having to grow up in a room they couldn't stand stand up straight in during the time there. She did go on to try and rebuild her life to the best she could. She trained to become an accountant and joined in volunteers for a woman's refuge centre. She also went on to become a mother and a grandmother. However, the physical and psychological repercussions of a seven-year ordeal has clearly had an impact on her life. She allegedly suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder and finds it difficult to maintain a job or a romantic relationship. During the trial, this is, again, something you probably don't even think about, but not only was, was there that example of the day where Cameron took Colleen to her family, yeah. he also introduced her to all of his family. So Cameron's mother, as well as his brother, both attended the trial and they kind of testified on his behalf. I think it was very much in vain, but they basically were testifying about how great Colleen was with their children in mm. the family, saying that the children were crazy for her. When she was here, she appeared normal and easygoing. Now, he didn't necessarily int introduce her as, this is my other girlfriend, this yeah. is my other wife. He introduced her as the babysitter. Yeah, The children were crazy for her. And Cameron's mother, Lorena Hooker, said that uh, Colleen Stan was a frequent guest the trailer and that her husband kept saying how happy they all seemed together yeah i mean yeah. that's as i said like the happier she was and the, you know, the more she behaved i hate using that term the less likely she was to be to see the repercussions of that afterwards mm -hmm. so you can kind of understand why she is put on an act if she was to then act out and especially in front of the whole family you can imagine how bad that would have ended up so janice hooker changed her identity and remains living in california she has reportedly worked in both the social work and mental health fields wow yeah, she's, she certainly divides opinion on this case. 
it's tricky because of her childhood and because she was manipulated into the relationship. So it's like, and then you could even say perhaps, you know, she, maybe she was encouraged to kind of abuse Colleen as well uh, by a person she was scared of. And then she was the person that kind of freed her at the end. So, I mean, it'd yeah. be interesting to know what people's thoughts are on that. It's, it's a really tricky one. Whenever we do a case, I always look at other documentaries or, or podcasts and I have a little look in the comment section mm. because you can pick up like little niche comments or feedback yeah. or quotes. And there's just so many people that all I could see against Janice was negative, completely yeah. negative. Yeah, I'm sure people are going to think I'm being too soft on her, but it's... That's the thing. Would Colleen have ever gotten out without Janice? But then... Janice was complicit in the idea of getting a sex life. That's true. So she's played a part in getting her there, but she's played a part in getting her out. Mm. It's it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky one. And then, but also, then she was being manipulated at the time that she agreed yeah, to do she, it. But yeah. she's, as, as you said, you're absolutely right. Maybe we are. Yeah, maybe we are being a bit soft on her. Let us know in the comments. Are we being yeah. too soft, or are we being? You know, are we should we have some conflicted? feelings towards her yeah. i don't know it's, it's tricky cameron Hook, hooker spent the last 37 years in jail he was denied parole in 2015 and is not due for another hearing until 2030 colleen stan's experience was described as unparalleled in fbi history and during the seven years in captivity colleen told reporters i learned i could go anywhere in my mind you just remove yourself from the real situation going on and you go somewhere else as i said in the interviews she seems she comes across you know very well and so you think about prisoners in, sol in solitary confinement and you hear about people really struggling and, and even get you know starting to you know hear voices and whatnot yeah. you think about how the amount of time she spent under there yeah. every day when you actually really think about it and yeah. put yourself in the position is it's absolutely horrific yeah because it's so easy just to say seven years box yeah. under the bed tortured yeah but the daily aspect of that and and the torture as well itself was yeah. graphic and hideous and the mental manipulation as well the fbi the point i made about the fbi saying it was unparalleled they also used what colleen stan experienced and examined it as well as her behaviors and her mental process mm -hmm. so they basically used this to put together a case study to determine the best ways to survive if you were captured and tortured. Oh, wow. So Colleen was like a model in terms of the way that she... Na and she obviously... No part of her was expecting to be no. ever put in that situation, no. but the way that she got herself through yeah. this... Because I suppose there would have been either, you know, moments where she could potentially have harmed herself to yeah. end that particular circle that she was in, and she survived it. And yeah. she's, you know... And, when, and as, as you've said, the, the way that she comes across in interviews now, it's just super inspiring. You would struggle to notice that she'd been through any kind of trauma, how confidently she recalls yeah, the events. Yeah, and even people say that, not that people should be making notes, but Cameron Hooker's way he kidnapped and manipulated her and dehumanised her, taking her name, taking her rights, making her not know what day or time it was. It was like classic ways of breaking someone down. Yeah. And making them kind of become your become your slave and become like the Stockholm syndrome kind of thing is he did the classic things to get someone to that place. There was one point that I heard on a, on another podcast that kind of highlights the amount of control he had over her. So allegedly, this is around the sixth year of her being held uh, in captivity. Cameron gave Colleen a shotgun and told her to put it in her mouth and pull the trigger. She did, but the gun was not loaded. Wow. So now I think this case probably is, is asking for a bit of light relief, Ben. I think it's time for our lookalikes. I got you. I got you. What does it look like? That looks like a bit like that. It's a bit like this. I got a few lookalikes this week. One that I did notice as well is the similarities in this case. Did you guys ever watch the um, Abducted in Plain Sight 
documentary yes. on, on Netflix. So in terms of the manipulation and the, the charming character that then goes on to mm. win everyone over, but then brainwash people as well. I thought that there were a lot of similarities in this that case to the Colleen Stan one. But then I also stopped and thought, actually, he looks quite a lot alike. So I think that Cameron uh, Hooker looks a little bit like the criminal in Abducted in Plain Sight, which is Robert Birchtold. It's not really one of my ones for the lookies. But he's got glasses. Yeah, he's got glasses, right. But if you want me to start on my <laughs> actual lookalike, oh, sorry, I got it. then yeah. uh, again, you could probably come back with the same the same point that you've just done. I think there are definite Jeffrey Dahmer vibes. I got that as well. I think it's not on my list, but yeah, I've seen that. I was also thinking his hair is kind of like young Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer's a bit of an odd one because at one point he was quite handsome and he kind of got into the booze. But um, I can see them as cousins. Yeah, that's probably not a bad shout anymore. This is the one I'm happier with. Uh, This is the one I'm much happier with. This is from um, Cameron uh, Hooker uh, during the trial. I see him very much as John Ritter. I remember, I mean, John Ritter's been in loads of things, but the thing I remember him most from was the dad from Eight Simple Rules. <laughs> I just think the face is the same, right? Uh, there's something there. There's something there. I'll take that. That's nice. You don't see that? It's, That's spot it's a, on. It's a particular picture. Can it's, you not see it? Dan? I'm, Dan, look, I'm looking at it right now. You're looking at the ones I found? <laughs> yeah. I it's also, all right. It's all right. I thought um, Clean um, Stan looks a little bit like Angela Wesselman from the Catfish movie. Oh, yeah. He's literally just glasses, I think, as well, to be fair. Well, I, I have for Colleen Stan, I didn't want to be nasty, but I saw a tiny bit of Hyacinth Bouquet, uh, Pat- Patricia Routledge. I think more Charlie Dimmick in that picture, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> for mine, for Cameron Hooker, mine's not great, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. I'm not overly proud of these ones. I think he looks like um, the dad in F is for Family. See, I would have gone with that, but different picture. And then I also think it looks a little bit like Charlie Hickson from The Far Show. That's many against glasses and a bit of haircut. Yeah. So I'm not proud of these ones, so, uh, but I, yeah. yeah. The other thing I noticed when I was looking for photos of him as well is obviously the, um, the crime scene photos of this case are absolutely harrowing. Yeah. But I did notice a couple of things. Number one, the investigator holding the head box has a bit of a wry smile on his face. Mm. And number two, there's a guy that's walking um, Cameron Urker in his prison overalls down the steps of either the courthouse or, or whatever. And he's also got a massive smile on his face. Just didn't sit right with me. Okay. Maybe I'm looking into it a bit too much, but they all just seemed a bit smiley. Oh, and there was another conspiracy. That, not that that's a conspiracy I've just thrown out there. It's not a conspiracy um, at all. No. But there was a conspiracy as well that, that um, not like for like, but that the company, a group of sadomasochists that traffic people mm. does actually exist okay they don't necessarily go by the name of the company but in a similar area of la at the same time frame there were people being kidnapped and trafficked and kept in i think human trafficking has been going on for yeah if, well, it, doesn't, if it doesn't go by the same it's, name it's, it's some conspiracy like i think they were probably the same name as well i, I wonder if it's a protective about conspiracy i'm not really that pro- protective at all. Bad, okay well, yeah blah, blah, blah. and that is the case of colleen stan girl in a box then so at the beginning of the case perhaps one of the one of the darker ones we've covered perhaps mm-hmm. um so thank you so much for everyone that's been supporting us uh, through this new series we've got a load more cases coming your way if you can't wait until next week's episode which is another it's another big one then why not hit us up on our patreon page we've got 80 odd episodes over there ad free um <laughs> which is great we do requests over there as well we do 
and yeah we've got some really interesting cases coming up on there also if you're not already please consider following us on all the socials but mainly if you can instagram because we're nearly at ten thousand, which yeah. is crazy um to think that we we're anywhere near there so we're, we're like a few hundred away so instagram at could murder a pod twitter at could murder a pod facebook a thriving community over there just such could murder a podcast we've got tiktok we've got twitter I, think I said Twitter twice. Did. And also a big shout out to Gully Gums for um, dressing us this series. As you see, it's a very 70s look for us today to go over the case. Why not go over there and use one of our codes, either kill Ben or kill Tom for 30% off. And as I said, there's lots of just great Garms over there in the bed. barbecue season, festival season. Just going to the beach. Yeah. Or even it's going to be a bit stormy. Maybe yeah. get a raincoat. Yeah. Maybe get a raincoat. But yes, guys, thank you so much. And until next time, like we always say, we say this all the time. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, unless it's getting into cars with people that are a little bit strange looking. I, I think hitchhiking is just, if you can avoid hitchhiking, I, yeah, would. I would. If your car doesn't start. Take that as a sign. Yeah, stay in. Mm. Cancel your plans. People won't mind if you cancel once or twice. We cancelled a girl on happy hour once because Ben's car didn't start. Yeah. I think people were just about over that now. Anyway, all best. Two bit. Okay, everybody, let's shoot a podcast. Ready? Tonight's the night. I don't want it to be tonight. <laughs> what? That tickled me, thank you. That's all right. You have been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast, written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter, produced and mixed by Dan Lambert at Boston Sound, edited by Ben Bonsey. Additional research and timelines by Lauren McKenna-Parker. Additional voiceover by Yolanda Kettle. Artwork and animation by Phil Witten. And theme song by Alfie Indra. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on Apple Music and Spotify. For additional exclusive content, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.